0: morning. It's good to see you this morning. It's good to try to see you. We got the lights up a little bit. Yeah, that's that's better. Because I think I'm just going to stay down here this morning. Uh, feel a little bit closer. I can't tell you how good it is to be here this morning. So much more fun than I was having at this time last week. Was not the last. The last actually two two and a half weeks for me have been. Uh, Ra- rather difficult, um, to say the least. It hit me, and then it it uh, went away, and then it hit me hard again. But I'm so glad to be here this morning. And um, I'd encourage you, I know, uh, to keep praying, uh, be praying for those that are in the congregation that the flu has, has gone through, and, and that, because there's there's been several. We've got a number out and I encourage you to be praying about that. And, of course, with Nancy's having her surgery and, uh, and that up in the hospital, I just encourage you to be praying for God's healing and God's health for those in our church family. Uh, we've just gone through a season where, uh, as so many are, that it's a uh, uh, l- little bit challenging. So, And I want to encourage you, too, next week to be here as we start a new series called Immovable. Immovable. And that is how do we remain constant, how to remain immovable in this culture of chaos that we live in and all the chaos in the world. Does anybody here have any chaos in their lives at all? A couple of you do. A couple of you shaking your head yes. I don't see anybody shaking their head no. But uh, yeah, I think we all have, you know, it's a chaotic time that we live in, and we're going to be talking about that uh, starting next week. For today, I'm going to finish up where I was going to finish off last week, and that is uh, with a kind of a mini-series that we're doing on miracles. We talked about this a couple of, uh, couple of weeks ago, and as we started this off, and um, I want to ask you, what do you think of when you think of a miracle? What do you think of? Let's hear for some people, healings, Healings. all right. Like specifically, what? Um, The blind seeing, all right. The blind seeing. Who 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 else? What are some other miracles? Finances being met, like when you're in a hole and you're looking up, and you're not seeing any way out. And all of a sudden you find yourself plucked out and God's met a need who what, what else anything else? Think of some biblical ones, either some that you've seen in your life or maybe some some biblical ones we've talked about you know healings already, the blind seeing you know we've seen uh, cancer healed uh, we've seen uh, a number of things here. Uh, we also read about some in the, in, in the Bible what about um, I, I'm thinking about it for some reason, standing right here when the Red Sea was parted. You know, the parting of the waters. You know, there are those that would try to explain that away. Well, they found a shallow part and they waded across in mud, except for the fact that the Bible specifically says that when Moses and the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, that the water parted in half. That they that the wall that the water was like a wall on either side of them. And the wind blew and dried up the ground, and they went across on dried ground. Kind of, you know, some, some, some of these Bible supposed experts should read sometimes what actually happened. So there's the parting of the Red Sea. Uh, you know, what, what, what are, how about, you know, water being turned to wine? Uh, you know, it's just so many miracles as you read throughout the scriptures, right? And that's because our God is a God of miracles, isn't he? Now, is he a God of miracles just back then in Bible times, or is he a God of miracles now, today? Is he still a God of miracles? Yeah. Do we really believe that? Yeah. He is a God of miracles. I love Psalm 77, 14. uh, uh, It says, you are the God of miracles and wonders, not you were, You are. You are the God of miracles and wonders. You still demonstrate your awesome power. You still demonstrate your awesome power. Now, let me ask another question. Is there a miracle that you have been praying for? For maybe even a long time. You don't have to answer that to me, but I want you to think about it. Is there something that you've been praying for that you would, cataf- boy, you know, this is going to take a miracle, and I don't mean just to use the term loosely, but I just mean this is going to really take a miracle. I don't see how it's going to happen, but God, I'm praying and I'm asking for, this, for you to do this. Is there something in your life? This morning, we're going to take a look at a miracle That a father came to Jesus and asked for on behalf of his son. Set it up just briefly, Jesus had been up on a mountain with three of his closest, his inner circle, three of his closest friends, Peter, James, and John. And the backstory of that is there's also they met, you know, a couple of others up there, Moses and Elijah, kind of a a, a deal. That was a miracle. But he'd been up in a mountain, Jesus had been up in the mountain with his, his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and as they're coming down, they walk up to the other disciples, and there's a crowd around them, and they're all, you know, they walk in the middle of a discussion that they're all having. They're all talking, they're all engaged and, and that, and, and that's where we pick it up in Mark nine sixteen. says, what are you arguing with them about? Jesus walks up to them with the other disciples, and he says, what, what are you guys talking about? What are you arguing about? And then a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that's robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. You get the picture here? You see this? Okay. It's, it's, it, it, it's quite a scene. It says, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, what happened? It manifested. It made itself known. It says that it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? And, you know, from childhood, he answered, it's often, you know, throws him into the fire or water to kill him. But, but you know, if you, yeah, yeah I just want to pause a minute right there. It says it often throws him into the fire, or the water to kill him. Hmm. Reminds me of a verse. John ten ten. What's that say? Anybody? The thief comes to steal, kill. And destroy. And Jesus said, but I've come that you have, might have life and have it abundantly. We have a perfect example here of what the enemy tries to do in every single one of our lives. Sometimes he does it by outright attacks. Sometimes he does it by trying to trip us up and deceive us. But have no doubt that his work in your life is for the purpose of destroying you. You do have a very real enemy. But thank God we also have a very real and powerful and awesome Jesus who has come to give us life and to break the enemy's power. To break the enemy's power in our lives. So, you know, just we have a picture of it right here. You know, often throws him into the fire water to kill him. And then the man, the, the father says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And, and Jesus kind of like, if you can, if you can, everything's possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Now, I've talked on this story many times. I've always been intrigued by this story. There's two stories in the Gospels that really intrigue me. And, and they're, they're both found here in um, in Mark's Gospel. This one in chapter nine, and there's one in the chapter before this in chapter eight, where Jesus heals a blind man, but he does it in stages. He prays once, and the guy sees. He sees, oh, man, I see everybody, but it's like it's all blurry, and it's like trees walking around. So Jesus touched him again, prayed again, and, and then he received clarity of sight. It's kind of symbolic of what we he does in our lives sometimes, you know he, he helps us to see things and but it's it, 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 not with a lot of clarity and then and then we start to get clarity then of, of what he's doing in our lives in that and so those two stories have always intrigued me that one of of, of the healing of the blind man but but also this one right here um, and I think this one because I can so identify with the father for one he's desperate for God's intervention for his son. He's desperate for God's intervention. He's desperate for Jesus to do something. He's tried everything. He's at his wits end. He doesn't know what to do. He loves his son so much. Those of you who are parents, have you ever been that place with your children and you love them so much and you 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 so want to see God break into their lives and and and, and do what what uh, you know needs to be done. But. And yet there's a struggle that goes on here. You see. This father sees the suffering and torment of his son and is desperate for God to intervene He has faith. He does. He has faith. That's why he came in the first place. And he says that. I do believe. But then he's honest enough with with himself and honest enough with Jesus to say, help my unbelief. He struggled with doubt. He's authentic. He's real. He's honest enough to admit that sometimes he battles With doubt and he was battling it here it's one of the things that we value here i know you go to some places and it's like you know you're taught that i I can't admit what i'm really feeling i can't admit what i'm really thinking i can't admit that i have doubt because then it shows weakness and then god won't love me and that couldn't be farther from the truth because god loves us right where we are he loves us in the midst of our doubt. He loves us in the midst of our weakness. He loves us in the midst of, of life's struggles. And he says, so, you know, so he has his faith, but he also, he's real enough to admit he's, he's battling with doubt. You know, I don't think anyone ever sets out to have doubt. We all want to have faith. We all want to have strong faith, right? But sometimes doubt comes in. And, you know, and, and we also, we live in a world that discourages faith. And I like what, you know, this guy, because he decides he doesn't care what anybody else thinks of him. He just wants help for his son. He says, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I just want help for my son. And he goes to Jesus in a moment of absolute honesty and he admits, look, you got to help my unbelief. That's why I'm coming to you. I believe, but I'm struggling with doubt, so help me through this. And he admits it. You see, whatever you're struggling with, whatever it is, you don't have to try to hide it from the one who already knows it's there. You don't have to put up a pretense for anybody else. You can come and bring it to Jesus and just let him take it and watch what he does with it. I'll be honest enough, I've struggled with doubt. You know, and when, I, and when I pray, and you know, there's times I feel so full of faith and there's other times when I have faith, but also there's doubt that is trying to come in and seeks to come in. Now, where does doubt come from? I'll talk about a few, briefly about a few uh, common causes of doubt. We see three of them right here in this man's story, and the fir- first is that we often doubt simply because we believe, like those around us. We believe like those around us, like those that we are surrounded by, those that we are closest to. How many have been reading online this week about some things about Billy Graham? Okay. Um, Has anybody ever read Billy Graham's autobiography, Just As I Am? Came out a number of years ago. Fascinating book. And he tells about a time early in his ministry where he struggled. He had been reading from certain neo-orthodox theologians and that, and he and one of his one of his closest friends you know one of his closest friends had 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 gone to a more liberal uh, uh decided to go to a more liberal school and that and they would have discussions and he could see the influence of the liberalism with this friend of his and you know it was telling him look you got to get with the times you got to get with with you know that you're you're outdated, you're old fashioned, and all of this, and and it was causing some uh, uh, struggle within within Billy Graham, and um, um, he it, it came to a, a crisis of, of of faith where he just he had to settle things because because he'd seen this friend of his go so far away from from center and and um. Billy Graham. Then, uh, let, me, let me think. He goes out into the out into these woods, and he he's, he wrestles with God, and he sets his self, his, his Bible down. Or yeah, he sets his Bible down on a stump, and he says, "God, I am going to believe that this is your word, and that this word is true." And I'm paraphrasing it, but it was that this word is true, and that it is reliable. And I can, you know, I can, I can count on it. And, and it's, he basically, for the inerrancy of the scripture and the truth of the scripture, he took a stand. And then that's when his ministry just really took off, when he made that decision. That it doesn't matter what anybody else believed. doesn't matter what anybody else thought. He goes, this book is God's word. And I'm going to believe it. I'm going to stand on it. I'm going to receive it in faith whether I see it or not. I'm going to believe it in faith. And that's what really that's when his ministry really took off with the uh uh the big uh crusade in Los Angeles in early early on in his ministry. Um <clears throat> We doubt simply because we believe like those around us that are, we're surrounded by the closest to. Look at Mark 19, 9, or 9.19. It says, you unbelieving generation, Jesus says this, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Now, I want you to notice something. Jesus isn't talking to the man, right? He's not talking to the man here. He doesn't say to the man, you unbeliever you you unbelieving. He's, he's making a commentary. He's referring to the mindset of the day. This, un- you unbelieving generation. And boy, does that fit our generation today. It fits us right here where we are now. This generation that we live in. We live in a culture of doubt and mistrust. We live amongst people that are skeptical and cynical always suspicious people who don't know how to don't know who to trust and on the one hand our society has never been more gullible than it is today on the other hand we've never been more cynical than we are today and that kind of culture is not one that fosters faith any culture that causes you to look at people through a filter of suspicion or that is just quick to, to label people so they fit into a predetermined narrative is not going to be one where you see faith welling up naturally. People, mo- most people don't realize what a huge effect. Most of us do not realize what a huge impact and effect our culture has on us. This culture, and we live right in the middle of it. Every culture has its own prevailing worldview, which shapes our thinking, and ours is no different. And it shapes our outlook, whether we realize it or not. And to think that we can affect, no matter how, what we believe and how much faith we have, to think that we can somehow escape the effect of culture that we live in, that we are immersed in, to think that we can somehow escape that is as foolish as thinking that we can dive headfirst into a pool and remain dry. Because it's our culture has affected us from the moment we took our first breath. So we need to be aware that of our uh, aware of that and surround ourselves with those who recognize it, and those who um, will encourage faith rather than skepticism and doubt. 2 Corinthians 6 says, don't be, un- don't be yoked together with unbelievers. It says, what's a believer have in common with an unbeliever? So in other words, surround. we need to surround ourselves with people of like-minded faith who will encourage our faith. I mean, how can we have faith when we're so tightly and closely linked uh, and And surrounded by unbelief and doubt now it 's not that we shut everybody out and have our own little Christian party over here where we don 't have any relationship with unbelievers, we don 't have any you know uh, any, any friends that aren 't believers and all of that it 's it's, 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 it's not that at all, but as we take a close look at who it is that we are surrounding ourselves with the most. That, and, and, and how is it that they're affecting us? Second cause of doubt we see here is that we've tried things that didn't work. <laughs> tried things that didn't work. Verse 17, a man in the crowd said, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit and is, that has robbed him of speech. In other words, he made him uh, so, he, so he couldn't talk. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground, it foams at the mouth, it gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the Spirit, but they could not. I asked your disciples. They couldn't do it. And I'm sure the man is thinking, they couldn't do it. Can you really do it? They tried, nothing happened, didn't do any good. Do you think you have what it takes, Jesus. See, sometimes we can start with such high levels of faith and expectation. Time goes on. We try one thing, no results. We try something else, no results. I remember when my uncle was dealing with pancreatic cancer, my aunt, out of desperation, uh, took him to a, uh, a very famous healing evangelist for prayer nothing happened she basically resigned herself then well nothing's going to work now how many times have we gone to God and asked for something and didn't see the result we wanted and we do again and maybe a few times and what happens each time If we're not careful, our faith begins to decrease and doubt begins to increase because we begin to think, well, I've tried this before. And I've had people tell me, well, I tried getting prayer, but it didn't work. And that's all we can see. Doubt soon begins to creep in. Third cause. We believe, sort of. We believe, sort of. Like the man said, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. (laughs) This is where we've got some faith, but maybe it's not very strong. Or sometimes it's this. With many of us, it's this. It's it's we believe, you know, I, I, I believe God can. I just wonder whether he will. Maybe we really want to believe, but we're honest and we're struggling. Maybe we've tried things, didn't work. We've been disappointed, whatever. Often the struggle is God, I believe you can do this. But would you really, do you really want to do it for me? And that's a lot of times where the struggle is. I remember as a brand new Christian, watching as God answered prayer after prayer after prayer and wondering, wow, that's so awesome what he did for them. It's so awesome what he did for them. Man, look what he did there. Then there were the times it's like, but he won't do that for me. I'm not as spiritual as that person. God knows what I'm really like. So, and I'm not like them. They've got it all together. I'm the only one that's that messed up. You ever wonder that? Say, God, would you really do it for me? See, when we believe that, we are believing a, or it's, rather, it's, it reveals a, a fault in how we see God's love and how we see Him as viewing us. We think He views everybody else in perfect love and grace, but then we think, but me? I'm just glad He lets me in the door because I really don't have anything. To give him. See, we've got to learn to believe that Jesus loves each one of us, not just the others, but ourselves, just as much as everyone else. He loves you just as much as he does the Apostle Paul or his closest three, Peter, James, and John those three disciples that were his inner circle he doesn't love them any more than he loves you i don't care what's going on doesn't matter what's going on he loves you that much that's why he died for you bible says he's not a respecter of persons means he doesn't he doesn't, like, do, oh, I'm going to do this for this person. These people are, man, they're, they're, they're really going strong. I'm going to answer all their prayers. This one over here, I'll answer a couple, and that's it. Huh. We all, I don't know who said it first, but we all come to the cross at the same level and on our knees. He doesn't, he doesn't play favorites. He doesn't place favorites. He doesn't love some more than others. See, maybe you've been praying for something for a long time and you were full of faith at the beginning, but right now you're just believing sort of and doubts start to creep in. The thing that happens when doubts start to creep in and we start to give place to them and it's not that they don't try to st- creep in on every one of us. They do. It's whether or not we give place to them. And, and when, they, when, when doubt begins to knock at the door and begins to cr- creep in, it brings one of its friends with it. And the friend's name is instability. And we wonder why we feel unstable all the time. It's because there's a war going on inside of us, a struggle between faith and doubt. And they're pulling at us, like Stretch Armstrong. How many remember Stretch Armstrong? <laughs> Raise your hand high if you remember Stretch Armstrong. Okay. How many have never heard of Stretch Armstrong? You don't know who he is. Okay. <laughs> Justin, I wouldn't ex- expect you to know who he is. When I was younger, <laughs> when I was a little kid, no, when I was younger, I feel weird saying that. I was young once. Um, <laughs> there was this toy that came out, and it was a, a, a man a figure about this big muscle man okay muscle man had the shorts on the little you know boxing trunks or whatever i guess anyway his name was stretch armstrong just muscle bound he was like this and the thing was he was made out of rubber so you'd have get together with your friends you'd have you know that that arm would you know one friend would pull on that one friend would pull on it. You could pull the thing about 10 feet apart, you know, and it'd never break. You know, it was, it, it was you could just stretch it like that, you know, and, and then you let go and it snaps back. You know, what a fun toy. I mean, really. Never had one, but I thought they were strange. Anyway, but, but that's, what the, that's what we feel like sometimes, the struggle between faith and doubt. It's like we're being pulled this way and we're being pulled this way. And it's up to us to stay, to stop and say enough is enough, you know, because, because when we allow that, it, it, there's, there's an instability that comes in, you know, and... Uh, uh, um, when where you know where we once had had this red hot faith, we it meets this you know wet blanket of doubt, and the result is that you know we we become unstable and we become lukewarm. then, we become tepid, and you know like you know lacking any 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 life and and vitality. Have you ever been full of faith and ready to pray for someone? Let me back up even farther. You know those times when Jesus, you know, or the apostles says they looked at somebody and they said, you know, he saw that they had faith to be healed. Okay, like when Peter and John were going into the temple at the hour of prayer early on in Acts, and and it says there was a beggar there that was lame uh, from birth and and, um, begging for money, and he says, you know, uh, uh, Peter, you know, looks at him. And he says, uh, uh, you know, I don't have any money. I don't have any silver or gold, but what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. It says that, he, that he, he, had, he saw that the man had faith to be healed, okay? Remember those stories? It's not that, like, the man came up to him and, and, and like, had this great faith. It's like, God you know or or i mean you know peter and james or or no peter and john i'm getting mixed up here you know um, i i believe now heal me no he was asking for money bring it to now if you ever had faith you were ready to pray you wanted to pray for somebody pray for the, for god's healing and it's like you just you know you're full of faith they come they they, they come to you and they start to share and by the time they finish sharing, you feel so drained of any faith. It's like, oh God, just help this person. And you ever been there? Yeah. Because there there are you can you can sometimes see when someone has faith or when they come up because they they ask for prayer because they are obligated to because they feel like they're expected to but they have absolutely no faith or hope or expectation that anything is going to happen and it's draining When we come to Jesus, we need to come with an expectation. With an expectation that God is powerful. And God can move. And God can do all things. And whether he does it right then or not. Whether he does it right then or he does it, you know, two weeks later, three weeks later, three years later, whatever. That God is the one in control and that he can do all things. You see, when we get to the place of lukewarmness, where we're lacking any life and vitality and, and, and that in our, you know, it's, it's a tough place because it's hard for God to work in that The time I told you about in Mark chapter 8, where um, uh, Jesus healed the blind man in, in stages, it was, you know, he had to bring him out of the city because of the culture and atmosphere of unbelief in that place. Okay? So that does have some kind of effect. And it's kind of like, okay, God, I want you to heal me, I guess. I mean, if you want to, fine, but... I don't expect it, so I'm just going to live with it. It's a downward progression where nothing really matters anymore, and it starts with doubt. Listen to James. James says, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and what? unstable in all he does. Well, you just said that if I, you know, have doubt that I should be able, yes, you should be able to admit it. It's not that we never struggle with doubt. It's that we take it to Jesus and say, look, this is what I'm feeling right now, but I'm choosing to believe you. I'm choosing to take it to you, and I'm choosing to believe in you, and I'm putting my faith in you, not in the doubt that I'm feeling. See this is one of those gut check verses. We all need those periodically. To, we need to look at this passage and ask ourselves, you know, is this what's going into my life? Am I being blown and tossed around by every time the the wind changes? You know, if so, I need to ask, you know, what is it that I'm feeding? Am I feeding faith? Am I doing things that are feeding faith, listening to stories of faith, reading stories of faith, reading through the gospels, looking at God's power or am I doing things that that are feeding my doubt. What am I doing? It's a gut check verses, you know, and verses like that are there for us because when we see ourselves in them, then we know we need to do something about it. So now, you know, how do we do it? How do we go from struggling with doubt and instability to a faith that honors God? We want to cultivate faith that's solidly placed in the person of Jesus Christ. And that, you know, faith that's 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 not going to waver, faith that we can stand on, faith that honors God, because we can do something about it. Look at what Jesus, back at what Jesus said. said when he said, You unbelieving generation, that is such a perfect description of our uh, uh, of, of our generation today, our culture today. And that's one reason why it's so important to choose the people that are closest to you carefully. Choose the atmosphere that most you know, closely surrounds you, people of faith. You want power to break an addiction? Then get out of that atmosphere that feeds the addiction. That's what I had to do when I came to Christ. I had to get into a completely different atmosphere. One that would break the addictions in my life. and Stop hanging around people who encourage the addiction and start hanging with people who encourage faith and encourage freedom. Choosing others who have faith that honors God because whatever surrounds you is what's going to rub off on you. Whatever you're closest to is what's going to rub off on you. Faith that honors God. Faith that honors God. Here's what that faith looks like. One, it believes when it doesn't see. <clears throat> Believes when it doesn't see. We believe whether we see it or not. It's what Hebrews 11.1 one is talking about. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for. And the assurance about what we do not see. Faith comes into play when we see, when we don't see what we know is before us. It's the story of a miracle in Matthew about two blind men who were following Jesus around. And we're not going to go into the whole story. I just want to focus on on what Jesus said. Jesus went into a house, and Matthew tells us in 928, that when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? That's the question. I want to ask you again, what miracle have you been waiting for? What have you been asking God for and waiting on Him for? I want to ask you, do you believe that He's able to do it? Do you really believe that? Only you can answer that for you, and you need to ask that question. need to answer it. We need to ask ourselves, is our faith in what we can see Or is it in God who we know is working, whether we can see what he's doing or not? See, it all boils down to what we really know about God. It's a matter of trust. Do we really trust him even though we can't see him at work? The second way that we have a faith that honors God is is, uh, we persist when nothing changes. Faith that honors God persists when nothing changes. Or you could say nothing visible changes, or nothing visibly changes. Does our faith persist when nothing visibly changes? How do we know we have this kind of faith? How do you know that you have the kind of faith that persists even when things don't seem to be changing around you? I'll tell you a good indication right now. You keep on praying. Look at what you're doing. Are you continuing to pray? Or have you prayed enough times you've just relegated it off to? Well, I've prayed a lot, but I'm going to move on to something else now. We keep on praying. Keep on getting prayer. When you come up to someone on the prayer team for the, you know, after service for the 200th time, do you still come with expectation? Do you still come with the anticipation, this could be the day? This could be it. I'm just one prayer away. I could be just, just one prayer away from the answer. Colossians 4.2 says, be persistent in prayer and keep alert as you pray, giving thanks to God. Now, keep alert. What do you think that means? Keep alert to what? Keep alert to the fact that the enemy is going to uh, uh, continue to try to destroy your faith. Be aware of the, his tricks. Be aware of the things that he tries to do in your life. Keep praying, never give up. Keep praying, never get up, give up. Be persistent. That's how you can tell, one, one way you can tell that you have a faith that honors God because faith that honors God doesn't quit. Because if you really believed, that you are one prayer away from God's miracle breaking through in your life. Let me ask you something. Would you quit? If you really believe, this could be the day. This could be the time. Would you quit? No, you'd keep on praying. So faith that honors God believes when it doesn't see, and it persists when nothing changes. And third thing, It works when it doesn't make sense. It works when it doesn't. It it, it doesn't just give up and become resigned to fate. It keeps at it. James 2.22 says, you see, his faith and actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. See, there's more to a faith that honors God than just the prayer. It's prayer that's backed up by actions. And what you, you see, what you do reveals what you really believe. If actions don't accompany faith, it's a sign that there really isn't any living faith. It's when our actions accompany our faith that says our faith is real. Now, what actions? For one, it's when you keep doing the things that you know to do. It's when you, you press through the tiredness and continue to do what you know to do. You press through the tiredness and you don't allow discouragement to take over. It's not that you never feel discouraged, but you don't allow that to dictate your life and to define your life. You don't allow it to take over. After all, who knows whether we may be just one moment away from breakthrough. Faith. Working with actions. Working with actions. We asked a moment ago, what's a miracle? Name some miracles and someone said, you know, so financial. When a financial need is met. In a financial hole. So, okay, so you pray, and what else do you do? You don't just wait for a windfall of money. You go to work doing what you know to do, things like practical things, developing a budget, spending less, earning more, getting and stay out of debt, and all the while you're continuing to pray. And who knows? God may say, "I'm going to give you a windfall." And I'm going to meet your needs in a way like you've never known before. It's going to blow your mind. Or he may just say, I'm going to bless the work that you're doing. And you're going to see yourself get out one step at a time. Got something you need to be healed of. You don't just sit there and say, okay, God, touch me, heal me. Here I am. I'm up front at the church. I'm just sitting here. What else do you do? Keep doing what you know to do. Maybe doing what the doctor tells you to do. Anybody like that? I don't like that. I don't like doing what the doctor tells me to do. Sometimes he tells me things I don't want to hear. But if I have faith, I'm putting faith and works together, and okay, I know I need to start doing these things. I know I need to start taking better care of myself. I know I need to follow the doctor's orders here, so I'm going to do it. It's doing the things that we know to do. Faith and works is, God, I need this miracle in my life. I need this healing or I need this deliverance or I need this going on or this going on. So I'm going to put myself in a place where I can get prayer and I'm going to continue to do that no matter how long it takes. Faith, because we have a, a loved one that needs to be saved, that, that, that doesn't know Jesus, that, that um, is not walking with Him, and, and all kinds of stuff is going on in their life and that. And, and So how do we put works to that? We don't stop praying. We don't stop charging the gates of heaven and asking for God to have mercy on them. We don't stop loving them. We do stop enabling them. It's putting our faith with our actions together. Let me ask again what I asked at the beginning. What is it that you've been praying for? What is it that you've been praying for? What's the miracle that you need in your life? That thing that you've been praying for for a long time. <laughs> There's some lines, blank lines on the bottom of your outline. I want you to write it down. I want you to write down two things. One, what is it you've been praying for? What's the miracle? Well, I can't write that down. That's not possible. Well, with God, all things are possible. Second thing I want you to write down on those lines what are you doing to demonstrate your faith? What are you going to do to demonstrate your faith? And it may be, I'm just going to not stop praying. I'm going to continue to pray for this. Or there may be some specific action that you know that you need to be doing. Or that God has spoken to you about. Write it down. Now I want to give you the bottom line about faith. Bottom line about faith faith believes god can believes he can but trust him even if he doesn't he may have something bigger in store he may have another plan do you trust him enough even if he doesn't? Do you trust him even if you've been praying for that person for 10 years? Even if you've been asking for this miracle for a long time, do you trust him right where you are right now? And do you trust him with the future? like to have our worship team come on up. <laughs> While they're coming, I want to ask a question. Talking about trusting God. Do you trust Him with your life? And by that I mean Are you willing to yield him your life and say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to surrender myself to you. I'm going to invite you into my life and say, you take charge because I, I don't want control anymore. Take charge. Make me your child. And I will make you my Lord. Maybe you've never prayed that before. Maybe you've never come to the point where. Maybe you've never come to the point where. You've just surrendered everything to him. Not holding anything back. Just giving it all to him. Whatever you say Lord. I want everybody to close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. I don't anybody want anybody looking around. But if, if you're here and you've never taken that step of surrender to Jesus, or you just surrender everything to Him, and you're ready to do that now, first I want to tell you He's inviting you to do that now. He's already demonstrated. He's already proven his love for you. And that he died for you 2,000 years ago with this day in mind. That you would give your life to him. He's paid the price so that, so that you have now, just by faith, can have a clear, clear pathway to the Father. With your sin wiped away you're ready to say yes to that you've never done it before but if you're ready to say yes to that with everybody's eyes closed i just want you to lift your hand high in the air right now we're just going to take a moment maybe everybody here has done that i don't know but it's a conscious decision of i'm going to follow jesus and surrender my life to him All right, let me ask one more thing. We're not going to ask for a show of hands on this. But I want you to take that miracle that you've been asking for. That miracle that you need in your life. And in your heart, I want you to hand that over to him. And that doesn't mean you stop praying. You continue to pray. You continue to seek God. You continue to work what you need to work and to do what you need to do. But at the same time, you're saying, Lord, I'm handing this to you and I'm trusting you. Whatever the outcome is. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. The ushers to go ahead and get ready. We're going to go ahead and we're going to we're going to pass the bags around. And if you have that uh, the card that you filled out earlier. Um, that David talked about fluorescent card put that in the bag when it comes by if you're visiting for the first time then hang on to it you can take it out in the hallway when we're done and there's a welcome center there and we'd like to give you a gift but otherwise go ahead and put it in the bag as it comes by and along with your if, you're, if, you're, if you have your tithes and offerings with you go ahead and put them in the bag as well Um, when it comes by. Father, we ask now that you would bless your people. Bless the stories that are being shared and put in the bag. Bless the offerings and the tithes. Lord, come with your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen.